Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you're with. Uh, we are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, I do want to mention to you a great resource that uh, is just filled with treasures. It's called the Version. It's a free app. You can download it on your phone or your device. And there you'll find just about every translation of the Bible that you could imagine, uh, hundreds of different languages and uh, topics that you can search for. Uh, any area that's of interest to you, you can search by that topic, find out what God's Word has to say about it. And also, uh, this weekend, if you'll search under events, Arlington FM Church, you will find a complete set of notes for this message. Well, I do want to introduce a brand new series uh, that I'm really excited about, uh, and it's called uh, Future Church. And uh, you'll see the subtitle there, Get Used to Different. And uh, the idea is that uh, God is doing something different and new in the church. Uh, how many of you would uh, point to that? You know, uh, church is not what it was even 18 months ago. And uh, yet God's truth never changes. I, I want to uh, give you a couple of uh, uh, an idea and a perspective that will help you begin to engage with this idea of uh, what God is doing in his church in the future. The first is this. Uh, this time of year, uh, my thoughts always go to an annual event uh, sponsored by the Joey Dietrich Foundation. If you don't know anything about the uh, Joey D Baseball Foundation, uh, a group of wonderful people, uh, the parents of uh, Joey Dietrich. And, uh, you know, Joey was uh, one of the few athletes at Arlington High School who was recruited directly by a pro franchise, the Tampa Rays, uh, directly out of high school. And uh, this foundation was put together to carry Joey's legacy on after his untimely death. And uh, what the foundation is all about is uh, creating uh, resources uh, for young athletes, uh, be they male or female, uh, to help them uh, progress through the different uh, uh, leagues uh, if they have the talent uh, to uh, perhaps uh, find a scholarship or find their way in uh, the game of baseball. And uh, so anyway, at that annual golf tournament, uh, sometimes I am afforded the privilege of starting the tournament with a prayer. And I remember one year as I uh, stood there up in the pro shop uh, overlooking this uh, uh, really a gala event with uh, hundreds of golfers, scores of uh, golf carts lined up in full regalia, ready to hit the course. And uh, I was uh, invited to say a prayer over the day's festivities. And two thoughts really came to mind as I stood there with microphone in hand. The first thought was, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> These guys are ready to go. And uh, the second thought uh, that came to me in that moment was actually a, a simple prayer that I had read in a devotional earlier that week. And uh, the simple prayer uh, just says this, Heavenly Father, what are you up to today? And then this request, can I be a part of that? And uh, as I prayed that simple prayer, uh, I, I sensed immediately a collective amen, that that's a good prayer. Heavenly Father, what are you doing today? What are you up to? And can I be a part of that? And uh, that's a truth that's going to run through this series on future church uh, God, what are you doing around the corner? What are you doing in this next season? And uh, can I open up to that? And can I 
be a part of that. And, uh, you know, the second perspective that will help you get your brain around this series uh, uh, has to do with um, something that uh, astronauts report uh, after they break uh, Earth's gravitational pull and uh, get in orbit. And they, they look back and see a site that most humans have never seen. And it's a picture of our planet from space. And what these astronauts report again and again and again is being struck by the fact that this is our home. This is where all of humanity takes place. They report seeing the world in a new way, seeing its people and its problems and its resources and its possibilities with new eyes. And uh, they return uh, from that experience forever changed. And that's really a good glimpse of what, what I believe God wants to do through this series is uh, give us a view, give us a perspective of what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in the church that changes us, that changes the, the way we act, what we prioritize, uh, prioritize what our motives are, and uh, so I want to invite you uh, into this series uh, and uh, stir up in you a sense of expectation that God's going to show you some things that, that get a hold of your heart and that uh, have uh, application in your life, in your marriage, in your work, uh, in the way that you approach the difficulties in our world today. And what we're going to see today is a glimpse uh, of the church in the future that was given to uh, one of the closest followers of Christ. In fact, uh, he was known as John the Beloved Disciple. And uh, this glimpse uh, of the church of the future is given to us in the book of Revelation chapter 21. Uh, John describes what he is being shown. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And you say, uh, well, why? what's significant about that? Well, uh, earlier on in Revelation chapter 17, uh, the sea is symbolic of uh, broken humanity, all of its chaos, uh, all of its uh, conflicts, all of its difficulties, all of its turmoil, uh, that that is uh, depicted in John's revelation as the sea. And the first thing that John sees uh, about the church of the future is that there is no longer any sea. And it's a proclamation that the church of the future has overcome the chaos and the conflict and the turbulence that is in the world. That uh, much like Jesus said, uh, in the world you will have trouble, you'll have conflict, you'll have difficulties, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so uh, John is allowed to see uh, the church victorious, the church uh, not being pulled down by the conflicts and the turmoil and the chaos that is in the world, but rising above. Yeah, he goes on to describe the future church he's being shown. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And here in this part of his vision, uh, John is describing the, uh, the uh, future church as a holy city, a city that's been made perfect, the new Jerusalem, the new city of God. In fact, it was coming down out of heaven from God. It was sourced in the will and the purposes of God. And here's what he says. Uh, it was prepared as a bride 
beautifully dressed for her husband. See, John compares uh, the future church. He sees uh, in his vision that the, uh, the church is like a bride that's been wonderfully prepared or dressed for her husband. And it points to this reality uh, that the church of the future has an amazing relationship with Jesus. Uh, hear that again. The church of the future that John sees that has been perfected has this incredible, amazing, heart-capturing relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, I would just ask you guys out there that are married, uh, can you think of anything that, that tugged on your heart more than your bride all dialed, dialed up for you on your wedding day. I remember uh, my wedding day over four decades ago, and uh, it was hard to believe that this woman was actually going to pledge her life in companionship to me. And uh, I would say, come on, guys. Uh, who among us would say that we actually deserve a gift like that? Well, it's, uh, as I said, over 40 years later, and we're still having fun. And uh, yes, she is still the one that captures my heart. And uh, this glimpse of the future church that John is being shown, uh, it actually it will change our life experience when we live up to our vows and we continue to grow in that relationship with Christ. Uh, I think of Paul's words uh, to the Ephesian church. He says, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, uh, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, through his words. Uh, in order to do this, to present the church to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul goes on a few verses later to say, for this reason, now he... Uh, he looks at the relationship that a man has with his bride. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And now this amazing statement, this is a profound mystery, this two becoming one, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And so uh, John sees a picture of this. He sees the church uh, wonderfully ready to... Uh, be joined uh, to her heavenly groom. And uh, John knows that the church is the bride of Christ, the apple of his eye, the object of his greatest affection. And see, the future church knows uh, that they are loved by their groom, that he gives himself completely for his bride, that he washes and heals and makes her strong. He, he has life-giving words to build her up. And he shares this profound union. There's this oneness that exists between the groom and the bride of Christ. And the future church uh, has this captivating, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that marriage counselors look for in a relationship is, is the relationship vitalized? Is there a sharing? Is there a communion? Is there growth? Is there a meaningful interaction that grows deeper over the years, or is the relationship conflicted, or God forbid the very uh, worst case scenario, is the marriage devitalized? Has something that was once been living and active now uh, become dead? And, 
And so John, as he sees the future church, he sees a, a church that has a, a wonderful, active, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes on. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. See, this future church that John sees has not, over, not only overcome the world, and not only has this amazing relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, but they've learned to become comfortable with the presence of God. They've learned to live in and respond to the active presence of God. See, in this view of the church, uh, gone are the Christer believers, and that's a mashup of the words Christmas and Easter. Uh, Gone is that kind of response to God where uh, there's a tipping of the hat, there's an occasional checking in with God, and then life is lived distant from him. As John sees the future church, he sees one that, uh, that lives in the active presence and power of God. You know, I heard uh, one person say uh, that one of the goals of discipleship uh, in the home is to normalize the presence of God in that home. Uh, that God isn't uh, somewhere we go to visit, but he's here in our midst. And whether we're enjoying a sunset or working through a problem, uh, there's a sense that God is active and presence, present in our midst. I think of what David wrote in Psalm 139. He says, God, when I think about it, where can I go and be away from your presence? If I travel into the darkness, you're there. And if I hide in the depths, you're there. That God is before me, God is behind me, and God is with me. Uh, John goes on to describe this view of the church uh, from the future. He said that they will be God's people, and God himself will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, as John looks at the church uh, around the corner and uh, from a different perspective, he can't help but notice that the church is this gathering of people who have been comforted in all of their sorrows. All of their pains have been met through the active presence of God. There's no more regret. There's no, no uh, more diminishing or detaching from pain. There's no need to cover up loss or heartache. There's no addictive behavior. There's no compensating behavior. Every sorrow has been met through the active interaction of God. Look at the tenderness. Uh, we're told that God himself will wipe away every tear and that uh, there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain for in this future church, the old order of things has given way to God doing something entirely new. Well, we would think that uh, that incredible uh, description of the church uh, ahead, the church around the corner, the church from afar, uh, that that would be enough that they've overcome all the turbulence and turmoil in the world, that the church has this amazing relationship with Jesus, that the church has learned to enjoy and live in the presence of God and has been comforted from all of their losses, 
all of their suffering. But uh, as John explores this incredible uh, new city, this new Jerusalem that comes down out of God, is like there's more. There's more to explore. There's more to find. You know, I mentioned to you last week that on my sabbatical, my wife and I had the privilege to travel to the land of my forefathers, to Poland. And uh, after we spent a week or so there, uh, we began to make our uh, long journey home. And we thought, you know what? We could actually go to Prague in the Czech Republic uh, for about a hundred bucks. And so we, uh, we routed our, our flights through Prague in the Czech Republic and were able to stay there uh, for about five nights. And uh, as my wife and I uh, checked into our room, walked into the old town square, uh, I couldn't help but think of my daughter who had been there a few years earlier. So I sent her a text with a photo, uh, much like one of these. And I said, we're in Prague. And uh, I'll never forget her text back to me. I have no idea what time of the night it was when uh, it arrived to her. Uh, but she texted back and she said, uh, cool. And, and then her words were, uh, Prague is like walking around in a fairy tale. And, uh, you know, the more time we spent there, uh, the truer that became. It really was like walking around. Uh, most of these buildings you see were built around 1100 A.D. So that was a few years ago. And uh, it really was like walking around in a fairy tale. In fact, the more you, uh, the more you explored, the more you wanted to explore. In fact, this next photo, uh, we're kind of overlooking the city and... Uh, uh, I would invite you to join me. Uh, I want to return there someday and explore more. Uh, but in this picture, uh, we saw we were able to count seven bridges that crossed the Vatava River running through Prague. And uh, it brings us to the last uh, observation that John makes about the future church, uh, this new Jerusalem, this city coming down out of heaven from God. Uh, he says in chapter 22, uh, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, and it was as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb uh, down the middle of the great street of the city. So John uh, sees this wonderful river that depicts the life of God flowing unhindered uh, through the middle of his people. And uh, John describes on each side of that river, stood the tree of life, and we can only imagine uh, what that looked like for John. Uh, but it was, uh, he describes it was bearing 12 crops of fruit. It was yielding its fruit in every month. There's a picture of abundant supply for all of God's people and all the people of the nations of the world, uh, yielding its fruit every month. And then this amazing statement, and the leaves of the tree that were growing uh, by this river of life are for the healing of the nations. So as John uh, glimpses this church of the future, he sees a church that has become God's source of healing to every human ailment. Hear those words again. When John looks upon the church of the future and he sees it from a new perspective, he sees the gathered people of God as becoming God's source of healing for every human predicament and brokenness and situation. Uh, see, John uh, was going through a crazy time in the world. There was political upheaval. There was plagues and sickness 
There were people, false prophets, claiming to represent God. There was all kinds of uh, goofy teaching about who God was and how to respond to him. There was persecution and hatred toward Christ's followers. And there were uh, divisions among the church. And you say, well, wait a minute. Uh, aren't you describing 2021? Uh, well, yeah, in a sense, uh, we are. And uh, what John is saying is that as he sees the church of the future, he sees this overcoming church. He sees this vibrant church. He sees this church that has experienced all the comfort of God, now bringing God's life and health and healing to a broken world. Uh, you see, uh, it's easy uh, in a world like we live in to lose sight of what the church is supposed to be, uh, to lose uh, clarity on what position the church should be taking in the midst of the struggles and turmoil and chaos that is in the world. And uh, what John sees is a church that is wonderfully positioned to bring health and healing uh, to all the nations of the earth. Uh, I heard a wonderful story this week, and uh, it was about a group uh, that formed uh, early on in our country's history along the eastern seaboard uh, if you've been back there, specifically around Nantucket Island, uh, there are uh, dangerous harbors uh, and bays where uh, ships coming from uh, the old country, from England, uh, had to uh, arrive at. And uh, many of these ships would end up on the rocks. So this uh, group formed, and they actually called themselves the Life Saving Society. There's a name, isn't it? The Life Saving Society. And uh, this group, uh, they, they created uh, little uh, places up and down the coastline. They called them huts of refuge. And if you were a member of the society, it would be your duty uh, to be in one of those huts of refuge uh, throughout the day and the, in the night. And uh, if a ship came in and uh, they either sent up a flare or looked like they were getting in trouble, uh, here was the motto uh, for those uh, volunteers who manned the huts of refuge. The, mo the motto was, you have to go out. You don't have to come back. That's a heck of a motto, isn't it? Uh, if you see a ship in trouble and uh, somebody's crying out for help, you have to go out. You don't have to come back. And what an amazing disposition of people who've committed their lives to the well-being of others. Uh, I think, you know, uh, just this weekend, we're acknowledging 20 years uh, from that incredible uh, disaster in New York City and the bringing down of the Twin Towers. And uh, to read some of the stories and hear some of the stories of heroism, you know, one of the things I was struck by is that uh, a number of the, the New York City Fire Department personnel were brothers, uh, not just a part of the brotherhood, but actually biological brothers and uh, a number of stories were shared of how uh, one brother returned and another did not. Uh, one man shares how uh, he was the first battalion fire chief to arrive and enter the North Tower on September 11th. When he got there, he said he heard there was a fire above on the 78th floor and so he, uh, he ordered teams to go in and evacuate. One of those firefighters was his brother, Lieutenant Kevin Pfeiffer. Uh, 
He said, we looked at each other, wondering if we were both going to be okay. And then I gave him the same orders as the other officers, he said. That was the last time I saw my brother Kevin. And see, it's that same spirit of putting the well-being of others first, of uh, following the motto, you have to go out, and whether you come back is secondary. And as John looks upon the church of the future, he sees a church that has risen above the chaos and the turmoil in this world. He sees a church that has this wonderful, vibrant, dynamic, heart-capturing relationship with Jesus Christ. He sees a church that's living in the power and the pleasure and the presence of the living God. He sees a, sees a church that is being comforted for all of their losses, all of their disappointments, all of their uh, sorrows are being turned for good. And he sees a church that has become an agent of healing uh, to the entire world. And so I want to invite you uh, to consider uh, something. You know, the church is simply uh, made up of a gathering of uh, people who've responded to the message of Jesus Christ. And they are doing the best they can to authentically respond to his leadership in their lives. And so uh, here's my question I would like you to consider is uh, though that's the church of the future, it's meant to provoke us to live in that direction. And so my question is this, are you doing that? Uh, is that the, the direction that your life is heading where you see yourself progressively uh, rising above the din that is in the world? Uh, you see your relationship with Jesus Christ growing ever more vital and dynamic and uh, heart satisfying. Uh, you're finding uh, the presence of God at every turn in your life. And uh, as the pages of your life turn, you're finding that relationship growing deeper and wider. And you're finding that uh, all of your deepest sorrows, that he's met you at every turn. And as I said, he's turning those sorrows for good in your life. And that you find yourself uh, compelled by what you're receiving and experiencing of God and Jesus Christ. You're finding yourself more and more willing uh, to give yourself uh, to help those in need, regardless of how it might impact you. And so here's my uh, perspective that I'd like you to entertain today is uh, most of us, most of us think we're further along than we are. Uh, most of us think that we're living in those realities more than we are. And uh, I would just ask you to reconsider you know, I'm, I've been reading a book lately called Think Again. And uh, in the book, Think Again, uh, the author makes some not so pleasant observations about people. He said, you know, most of us, uh, we hinder our process of lifelong learning uh, because we have a sense of, of arrogance. That we, we think to know a few things about a subject makes us worthy of uh teaching others about the subject. We think that having a little bit of knowledge makes us a little bit better than those who might lack what we know. And uh, in this book, uh, Think Again, he, they, through research, make a lot of observations about people who conduct their, their lives this way. 
who formulate their opinions on partial truths and uh, have a tendency uh, to reject truth that might suggest they have more to learn. And uh, here's what the author writes. He says, this sense of arrogance leaves us blind to our weaknesses. It, it leaves us out of touch with perhaps how far away we are uh, from what God is calling us to in Christ Jesus. Uh, and here's uh, what I really think is one of the keys to the book and a truth I want to offer you. He says that humility is a reflective lens. It helps us see life more clearly, and uh, it enables us to uh, overcome and grow beyond our weaknesses. And, and that's an interest, <clears throat> interesting thought, that humility could be a key to becoming the church of the future. But that's exactly what I want to impress upon you as you uh, hear this introductory message, that humility is a key to becoming the church of the future. And uh, here's an aspect of that that the author Adam Grant uh, looks at in a chapter he calls The Joy of Being Wrong. And uh, he, he shares this story from his own family. He says when our son was five, he was excited to learn that his uncle was expecting a child. My wife and I both predicted a boy, and so did our son. A few weeks later, we found out the baby would be a girl. When we broke the news to our son, he burst into tears. Why are you crying? I asked. Uh, Is it because you were hoping your new cousin would be a boy? No, he shouted, pounding his fists on the floor. Uh, I'm crying because we were wrong. And uh, he realized in that moment he had to teach his son some things about being wrong. In fact, that you could actually, uh, with humility, discover the joy of being wrong. Because when you're wrong, it suggests that you've learned something. And uh, maybe that wrongness uh, for us would be assuming that we're much more like the church that John described than we really are. And see, that can be a good thing because it can set us on a road to discovery. I think of what Jesus said Uh, to some people who thought they were right when they weren't. He said, would that you would become blind in order that you could see. I think of the story Jesus told of two men went up to worship God. One assumed he was right with God, and he he judged and criticized the one who was next to him. And uh, the other man came up, and uh, he knew he was wrong. He beat his chest, and he pled with God for mercy, and Jesus asked the question, Which one of those two men went home justified? And the answer is, it was the one who knew that he had much to learn. I'd like to invite you to join me in a prayer. And uh, Father, we want to just thank you today uh, for a glimpse of what you're doing in the world, uh, for a glimpse of your church. Uh, You know, the word church literally means those who are called out. And uh, we want to thank you, Father, that you've called us out of a world that is sinking. You've called us above the chaos and the turmoil that seems to hit our world with uh, new tsunamis uh, day in and day out. And we thank you, Lord, that what you said is true, that we can be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. And uh, God, we want to thank you today uh, for what you've invited us into this adventure of love 
where we can actually be the beautiful bride of Christ. We can be in this uh, amazing uh, unified relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And maybe as you're hearing this message, uh, your thoughts are, you know, I don't know Jesus that way. It sounds good, but that's just not my reality. And I would just offer to you what Jesus offered. He said, as many who has believed in me, uh, I would give the right to become children of God. And uh, I would invite you to call out to him. Just say something like, Lord, I've never really known how desperately I need you. And I never have really grasped what it is you're inviting uh, people who follow you into. But I, I want to open up to that. I want to acknowledge I've been wrong about faith, about church, and I've seen a glimpse of the truth, and I want that. And so I'm committing my life to you, Lord. I'm making a vow. I'm pledging my life to you, Lord, and inviting you uh, to do life with me and take me to that place uh, that John has described in such wonderful terms. And Lord, for, uh, for your church, I pray that you'd give us the gift of humility. Lord, that you'd awaken uh, today as we have looked at your word and seen a description uh, of someone who's traveled uh, in his spirit uh, into your presence and you've shown him this view of what the future church looks like. Lord, I pray that you'd give us that gift of humility that allows us to be pliable, to be open, to celebrate the joy of being wrong as you show us things that we presumed we knew or the kind of people that we thought we were. And Lord, help us uh, to be on that journey uh, of discovery and becoming all that you've intended us to be, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.